Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to this week's Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and indeed across the world, but mainly this week from Ireland. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or indeed listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday 6th of November, a week when Ireland has been at the centre of Planet Tech with the Web Summit happening in Dublin. Now, we're not going to go into the big debate over why it's leaving or who's falling out with who, but instead, TechCentral.ie editor Niall Kitson has been on site all week to meet up with some of the speakers and the best of the Irish startups. So sit back and let us take you onto the floor of Web Summit to meet some of the movers and shakers. I'm here. Uh, I've just left the uh, machine stage for the very first talk of the Web Summit with uh, Remy Elwanzan, who is with Movidius, which is actually an Irish company done good, I guess fair to say. So tell us just a little bit about Movidius and what you do. Uh, Movidius is actually uh, an Irish company. Uh, we are actually uh, focused uh, on enabling um, artificial vision intelligence in devices. Um, can be your car, a drone, an AR or VR devices. Uh, we've been at this for the past 10 years. Uh, we have created actually complete technology from the ground up. Uh, um, essentially, the uh, silicon and chip technology and all the algorithmic technology to enable a new type of use cases. Um, it can be about uh, providing sense and avoid capability to your drone so that it can fly autonomously. It can be about providing all the um, uh, machine vision um, elements for virtual reality so that you remove motion sickness or you can track gesture or you can track gaze. Uh, but it can also be in the context of smart cameras for those cameras to be able to detect, identify and recognize with a very high level of accuracy what's going on, for example, in your home when you are away. Um, the company uh, um, is um, headquartered in uh, Silicon Valley, in San Mateo, uh, but we are a proud European company, uh, and actually uh, the, uh, uh, the first office we ever opened uh, uh, was in Dublin, in Montjoin Square, and now we are based uh, uh, in, um, uh, on Doria Street uh, in the O'Connell House. Um, we, um, we, um, we believe uh, that we are on a cusp um, uh, of a revolution. I, I think that what we've seen over the past two decades related to the web is nothing to what's going to come in the next two decades, which will be dominated by artificial intelligence as a whole. Um, artificial intelligence will have dramatic impacts on many fields, um, uh, and one of them will be what we take care of, which is to give vision to devices, essentially to allow those devices to try to see with the same clarity as both of us as human beings um, are doing. One of the uh, interesting points that you raised uh, during your talk earlier was the relationship between augmented reality, which uh, you're working on Daiquiri with uh, at the moment, but also virtual reality, which is uh, a technology that's it's almost in the consumer sphere at the moment. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about how one complements the other? Sure. I think the... Um, um 
virtual reality, like you, you, you just said, Niall, the, um, it, it, it's happening now. It's happening now, and you will see a lot of adoption next year. We, we are planning um, for multiple millions of units of virtual reality headsets that will ship next year. Um, virtual reality um, um, has a nice paradigm. It's a closed environment where essentially um, you are immersed into a, a synthetic um, environment um, as opposed to being confronted with reality elements. And I will come back on that because this is the clear distinction with augmented reality. VR is going to be a huge trend. Uh, you, will, you see a lot of momentum going on with game developers, but I will tell you what I'm the most excited by is um, all those companies working on concert or sports events. Um, there is a basketball team in NBA called the Sacramento Kings, and starting from this season, you will have actually on the bench next to the players a 360 capture going on, and you will be able to pay your tickets at home wearing your VR headsets as if you are sitting on the bench next to the players watching that game. So that's just the start of a massive revolution coming. But again, when you do that, you immerse into a single environment. Now, AR um, is actually, I think, the most promising dimension. I think AR uh, is a new UI. Uh, I think AR is going to allow us to get disconnected from a given screen. Your screen will become you, human being, field of view. And you'll have actually the ability to essentially have um, um, reality and virtual elements merged together. It can be for notification. It can be for you to treat your emails. It can be for you to have your own personal TV. It can be for many things. But essentially, um, AR is going to become the new way to program your retina for your brain to essentially mix those elements moving forward. So you're essentially talking about sort of removing the screen from your everyday life and beaming ideas directly to your retina. I, I think this is the direction. And I think that actually uh, I will not invest in the TV business right now. Uh, 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 clearly not. And I, I do believe that actually this dematerialization of screen is going to happen pretty fast. And what sort of timeline are we looking at? I mean, are we looking at five years, ten years? No. No, I, uh, well, VR, I think uh, the, the VR uh, time um, is uh, starting now, and next year will be massive rollout. I think we can all agree to this. AR will be happening in 17 in a pretty material way. Great. Thank you, Remy. I have managed to corner Andre Harasimchuk, uh, who is a software designer, UX designer, man of the world, I guess, em- employee number 27 at Adobe, if, uh, if no, no, memory no, no, serves. No. No, no, not in, uh, employee number 27. Employee, actually, at Adobe, it was number 2,000, to be honest. Okay, well, still up there, considering the size of the company it is now. Yes, that's, that's actually very true, yes. Uh, so just uh, because most of our listenership wouldn't be aware of you, but they certainly know your work, especially when it comes to InDesign, Photoshop, and Illustrator. So what exactly was your contribution to those three iconic products? Well, I was the lead designer uh, on those three products. I was hired by Adobe in 1995 to come in and uh, lead the design effort on making them the suite. So before I joined, the three products were very different, very dissimilar, did their own things. And I was the one who created the design strategy and designed the three products to become what later became known as the creative suite. So the fact that you, know, you can look at each product and they have that... Um, harmonization of, uh, of approach. That's, that's your work. That was my work, yes, correct. So uh, you're in Dublin for the Web Summit. You've been speaking at the, the Design Summit, and 
you know, design has come so far since the days of sort of designing the simple UX, you know, from, from Mac to Windows to uh, Illustrator, etc., etc. How far has design come as a field uh, in terms of, you know, almost being an afterthought just to get the software out there to being sort of recognized as the, the important primary contact between the user and the product? Yeah, so uh, it's been pretty, uh, pretty amazing and fascinating. So I moved to Silicon Valley, uh, the Bay Area, in 1995, but I'd actually started my career in 1990, so I, a good five years before that. When I moved to the Bay Area, I knew five, ten people maybe who did what I did. Uh, there were definitely more than that, but there wasn't that many. Uh, in fact, I was considered the first interface designer who did nothing but design software with the engineering team at Adobe. So I get to have that nice little claim to fame. Um, since then, you know, the Bay Area now has been filled with all kinds of designers from all walks of life, and a lot of people have gotten into UX. It's become a core function of every product organization now. Uh, and it's just grown leaps and bounds. It's just, it's, just, it's just amazing to watch. These days, it's gotten to be the point that not only are designers uh, sitting at the table at the very beginning of product design stages, but they're also in uh, executive roles. Um, if you look at YouTube or Airbnb or Dropbox, you'll see uh, very prominent designers leading uh, the executive uh, team uh, for their part of the, the, the company. And there's now also uh, uh, funding now for design co-founders. So I actually work with a company called the Designer Fund. Um, and they specialize in, in finding designer founders. Uh, that's now become a thing. So it's not only that the job has grown, there's so many people doing it, and it's not only that you know we now have a seat at the table in the executive boardroom, we also have people willing to fund us and give us money to actually start companies. And that's what I'm doing right now. So, so when a new product is being designed, say, you know, just to take... Adobe has a new product coming up from scratch, or YouTube wants to redesign its user interface, or a startup wants, has a product and they want to design their website. At what stage should the designer become involved in that process? Well, you know, before it was, like you said, it was mostly an afterthought. That was always kind of frustrating. Uh, these days, it's from the very beginning. Uh, everybody's gotten design religion, which is great. Uh, the design team starts right at the beginning with the product team and the engineering team and even the executive team. So they're brought in from the very early stages now. And uh, it's not even just the, the, the beginning stages. Uh, it's even further into the early research. So the research and design has now become also a big thing. And it's through the entire process now. So the good thing is that it's no longer an afterthought. And it's now considered entirely acceptable and, and expected that design and UX is starts from day one and goes all the way through shipping and even after shipping for the next iteration. And do you find there's an awful lot of startups out there who, you know, you look at the design of their website, you look at the design of their product and you just go, ah, oh, that is so good except for this. <laughs> You're going to put me on the spot here, huh? <laughs> uh, I, I unfortunately see that a lot. <laughs> that is one of the things. You know, you know, having been in this business, those of us in the Bay Area doing startups and tech, there's kind of a smaller circle of, 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 there's a lot of people doing it, but there's definitely a smaller circle. And we all understand the constraints, the, the timing, the, the funding, um, executive goals and quarterly uh, earnings and all this kind of stuff. Oftentimes when that happens, when you see that something's really well designed, but there's just like one thing off, you, you know, having done this for so long, you give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Something happened. Who knows what it was? Um, they'll get it on the next go around, and they'll they'll usually fix it. But the the great thing is seeing that you can tell that they also started with design being part of the process right from the beginning. 
that's that's the nice thing. And uh, the next stage in user design uh, that we're hearing an awful lot about uh, at the summit is sort of the areas of augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, how do you find, you know, what do you think is the next generation of the, the user interface, the user experience? Are we looking at uh, the world without screens or are we just looking at things like maybe 3D touch that use screens in a smarter way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I first started in this business in 1990, you know, Pixar was just kind of getting off the ground, and 3D took machines, uh, rooms of machines, to render just a single frame of animation. Now you get all these real-time, uh, you know, 3D cards and things happening um, in real time in these games and these different experiences. I never would have guessed that would have happened in 25 years. Uh, for me to map out the next 10, 20, or 25 years. That's a tough question. I, I, I tend to believe that it's not going to be an all, all or nothing proposition. I don't necessarily think that we're going to get rid of screens or we're going to have you know implants in our brains or or it's going to be you know um, all glass or not. Uh, I, I tend to believe we're going to start to find a blend. We're going to find um, places where it becomes more appropriate. Now, to get to that point, we're going to, go th- going to go through some craziness, a lot of really kooky ideas, a lot of um, great things that just don't need to, don't, won't stick. But in the end of it, I think we will see more of a blend of traditional, you know, mouse and keyboard, some stylus stuff, a lot of touch, um, a lot of augmented, you know, augmented reality kinds of things. Uh, and, you know, Maybe I kind of like to think because I'm kind of an SF uh, nerd myself. I'm kind of hoping one of these days we'll have the brain implant, so I can actually try to drive uh, drawing something with my, with my thoughts versus my hands. That would be rather uh, fascinating, I think. Great, thank you, Andre. Thank you. I'm speaking now with Adam Bargroff from uh, Kamara. Kamara is a uh, charity we're all very interested in and very familiar with on Tech Central. Uh, usually we associate them with uh, recycling and rehoming, I guess, uh, IT equipment in developing nations. Uh, but we're talking about something slightly different today and something that um, uh, primary and second level students might be familiar with already, and that's mathletes, yes? Yeah, absolutely. So Kamara has taken over the coordination of mathletes, and in 2016, it's going global so the success of Mathletes was such that it went back to uh, the not-for-profit education people over in Khan Academy and they launched it in San Francisco as LearnStorm so in 2016 it's coming back to Ireland with Mathletes changing the name to LearnStorm still completely free maths challenge still for primary and secondary school students with an Irish education and curriculum elements in, into it as well and also the really interesting thing about that is that it's going to be more inclusive than ever so so um, part of our thing is, is obviously to work with low-income, prioritise low-income communities. Um, and obviously then also the math challenge itself is not just about mastering math skills, but it's also very much about putting the time and effort in. Put the time and effort in, you're going to be invited to finals events, celebrations for the STEM community, um, and then also hopefully win prizes. Excellent. Thank you, Adam. I'm at the uh, Alpha startup uh, area at the moment at the Web Summit, and I'm having a look at some uh, educational startups, and uh, I've bumped into Elena from Startup Booster. Uh, now, as you can imagine, this sounds like uh, a service, I guess, that would uh, help one start a company. Is, is that exactly what we're looking at? Uh, yes. Basically, we need idea owners, people who have a business idea or those who don't have but would like to become an entrepreneur and start their own business, and we help them through the whole startup process. 
So uh, somebody can come to your website and you don't know anything about setting up a business at all, uh, and this is the service that you provide. Now, how far does the service go? I mean, it's you can't uh, obviously offer a full service platform because there are there's a sort of a cross European element to the company, isn't there? Yeah, we are an international company. Uh, we are located in Dublin and Munich, but we are doing online sessions. So you do not need to travel to the place of the session. You just go online, and we have the Startup Black Belt program, which takes 50 days, where an entrepreneur can launch any kind of business from scratch within 10 online sessions. And uh, an idea that you're looking to promote here is uh, Idea Accelerator. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sure. We are developing a new platform, which is uh, basically putting the black belt training for startups into the accelerator game, Idea Accelerator game. So after playing the game, you will be able to also launch your business from scratch. And the whole game is for free. You just pay $1 for downloading your business plan in the end. And this is exactly your business plan for your startup. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. I've managed to find a, a quiet space in the RDS to talk to Adam Perk, who is the president and CMO of AdRoll, a company with a very successful Irish presence at the moment, and he is uh, in web, at uh, Web Summit. Why exactly? Well, uh, Web Summit is the premier event in Europe uh, for the technology industry, um, and so it makes sense for us to be here along with it. Okay, so tell us uh, a little bit about AdRoll and specifically about ad retargeting. Yeah, well, AdRoll is a performance advertising platform, and um, yeah, as you mentioned, our roots are in retargeting. We're the most widely used retargeting platform, and what that's all about really is um, helping businesses collect their customer data, understanding what people do um, and how they inter interact with their digital properties, and then targeting people based on that information uh, across the web, mobile, social networks. So say for um, the, the average maybe sole trader, how would AdRoll maybe help somebody that has the corner store or is, say, a boutique or a record store? Yeah, well, basically anybody who's conducting any sort of business that transacts online um, is going to want to uh, use this channel. Um, it just makes sense because what people do online is they window shop and they, um, they're exposed to a, a brand, then they leave, they get distracted, they, they price compare, and what retard targeting helps you do is stay in front of the, that audience and make sure um, that when they're uh, free from their distractions, uh, your brand is top of mind uh, to make sure they come back and convert. And I guess sort of that idea of sort of the attention poor, time poor consumer really is what, what appeals to, uh, to your customers. Sorry, say again. The idea of the, uh, the attention poor, time poor consumer, that's, uh, that really is the value proposition. Yeah, exactly. Um, because people are going to spend a certain amount of time um, on a particular website. And, and, and I don't know, know about you, but nobody uh, visits a site for the very first time, finds exactly what they want, flies through checkout without a problem. That's, that, that, that's definitely the exception versus the norm. And so it's really important online to stay in front of your customers uh, in a variety of uh, ad channels. Uh, of course, the operation in Ireland seems to be on the grow continually. Um, fairly modest beginnings, but uh, what size is the operation at the moment? Yeah, we're up to around 100 people in the uh, Dublin office, um, basically ranging in all sorts of different functions, sales account management, technical account management, and also some product pods. And where do you see the company going from here? 
Um, yeah, well, we're continuing to expand our product line for one. So um, one of the, the our newest product is called AdRoll Prospecting. So we're uh, traditionally known for our retargeting product, which basically helps people who are helps convert more people who are already familiar with your brand. And then AdRoll Prospecting helps find new users based on the type of people that are already converting, finding new high quality audiences that are similar to those people. I'm here with Ferg Flannery now from a company called Air AR. Now, I've spoken quite a bit about augmented reality on the podcast in the past, so it's now great to see an Irish company uh, actually taking it up as a technology. So, Ferg, tell us a little bit about Air, Air AR and you know where the company is at this stage, because I, I gather it's quite early days for you yet. Yeah, it's pretty early days, all right. Um, we're a design-led development, so we're, we're in the uh, UX design phase at the moment, and we're, we're hoping to reach out and uh, uh, work with other developers about... Uh, getting us to, to launch phase. Um, the company itself, AirAR, is, it's, a, it's an augmented reality content creation suite, uh, particularly aimed at, at uh, multimedia content creators. So, uh, in particular, the entertainment industry, where there's an existing amount of content. These uh, brands are content ready. They have different sources of, of content from YouTube, SoundCloud, you know, uh, tickets being sold to Eventbrite and things like that. And we're basically taking all those sources and aggregating them to uh, an augmented reality experience. The end user then is able to scan the poster and be able to experience all these uh, different multimedia um, multimedia streams and also interact and engage with uh, with the brand with the, the brand creator by being able to transact with them uh, via the poster, buy tickets, things like that. So basically you can be in you know record store X and you look at a poster and all of a sudden up comes a link to buy our album, yeah. watch our video on YouTube, that kind of thing. That kind of thing, yeah. What we're calling is uh, uh, content and context. So if you walk past a band poster, you've no way of listening to that music. You have to go Google it. You're, you've walked away from a potential uh, engagement. So we're allowing the user the, the ability to engage with that band and potentially be bar- part of their audience and, and expand on, on the, the multimedia experience that they're going to have right there and then and hopefully be a point of purchase as well for that band. I've bumped into John O'Keefe now from Nitro. Uh, we spoke to Nitro earlier this year. They're a company that sort of does uh, PDF authoring, I think is uh, one way to describe what yes. you do. And uh, Nitro has had a pretty successful year in Ireland at the moment. So, John, tell us a little bit about how your operation has grown. Yeah. Well, we've grown uh, across the whole business in terms of not only in sales and customer service and marketing, which is probably the traditional or more typical uh, business units that are, are, are introduced first, but we've actually now really expanded in the engineering side of the things. Um, and uh, we're building out our Nitro Cloud solution here in Dublin, and uh, we're finding that's a fantastic source of talent here in Dublin, um, and that's really going very, very well. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I remember speaking to uh, Sam about um, was the challenge of finding just enough office space in Dublin to hold on to uh, growing operations. Is that still very much an issue? Yes, it is. Um, most definitely in the central Dublin. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, office space out in the suburbs, whether it's in Sandiford and so on, but a lot of tech companies obviously want to be down downtown in central Dublin. I think that's where it's the mo- that's where we find uh, it, tightness in the market, definitely in the central central Dublin. 
and uh, there is always the, the issue of big T talent. Um, how are you finding Dublin as an attractor uh, to bring people in to fill those positions that you have? Are, are you able to fill jobs with it within the, the 32 counties or are you still bringing people in from abroad? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the split in terms of in our Dublin office is about 40% non-Irish, 60% Irish. Um, we do have to bring in some talent from abroad. Uh, some of that talent is already here, obviously, whether they're um, Irish or otherwise. Uh, but we do find, especially on the engineering side of things, and where we, where we actually specialise is in a technology called Scala, and those those um, it's, it's it's a unique area, and therefore we do have to bring people in from abroad who may have some of those skill sets. Some of them are here, but it is relatively a new technology and it's all around machine learning and what have you, technology, and therefore we do have to bring in some people from abroad, yeah. And as a, as a company that's already on the grow, I mean, people associate the, the web summit maybe with early stage startups. So where's the value for you in an event like this? I think it's, it's, it's like for most people, it's the networking. You know, I think um, uh, just being able to discuss, you know, the, our, the future of, of our solutions, uh, getting an understanding from other companies, what they're doing, um, their learnings as well, of course. Uh, but it's for me personally, I love, I love what, listening to the startups and see what they're doing as well. And I think for my, uh, one of the one other areas, I suppose, is talent again, right? You know, there's a lot of people here who are interested in getting into tech, tech business or into tech, technology generally. And, you know, some of these companies have great talent as well. And Roy's on the lookout for, for great talent. Great. Thank you, John. Lovely. Thanks very much. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. I've schlepped over from the Simmons Court Pavilion to the main uh, area in the RDS to meet with Jonathan Denver of PCH. Now, PCH is, it's kind of an Irish company done good, really. I think it started in Cork and now it's international. Yes, um, we would be, uh, our main office is here in Cork and we also have offices in San Francisco and uh, Shenzhen in China as well. So, uh, for anyone that isn't familiar with what you do, I'm looking around your stand here and there's lots of little devices, I think it's fair to say little ideas that people had that have now turned into physical gadgets. Is that, is that kind of what you do? Yeah, so um, at the Web Summit, we're looking for startups and our Highway 1 program. Um, our next Class 5 is open for applications. Uh, the applications close November 16th, and we're looking for hardware startups. We bring uh, between 10 and 12 companies on a four-month program, and we help bring their uh, companies from prototype all the way to, to the market. So we're looking for Irish startups here at the Web Summit for the next three, two, two days. So if you have an idea, say, for a new device, the next iPod, the next iPhone, the next whatever, you're the people that people should go to? Yes, we're looking for um, companies with uh, early stage prototypes, uh, any hardware related products, and we would be willing to talk to uh, hardware products and hardware companies, and any Irish companies that are here uh, over the next couple of days, come talk to us uh, for more information. And if somebody has a, an idea, do, does it matter at what stage of development they're at already, whether they're a startup 18 months down the road, or they've got a schematic? Um, so, depending on what stage startup they are, our early stage startups would fit into our Highway 1 program. If they're a bit more later advanced, perhaps they um, would fit into our uh, PCH Access program, and that's where we help startups scale up and go from their uh, completed product to uh, vast quantities, whether they want have an order of 10,000 or 100,000, we can help them uh, get that product out to market. And what sort of devices are you finding um, from the Web Summit that are impressing you most? We've seen quite a bit on AR, a little bit on AI, a little 
little bit on virtual reality. Uh, what is really speaking to you on a personal level? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see such new innovation and technologies around uh, the Web Summit. And um, again, we find that a lot of wearables seem to be uh, in the public eye. And, you know, a lot of our startups that have come through Highway 1 uh, would have a wearable, a wearable element to them. And uh, that's something that we're interested in, in connecting with. But like I said, we're, we're looking for any kind of hardware-related products. And the more innovative the idea, the better. I'm here now with uh, two of the younger exhibitors at the Web Summit. I'm speaking specifically to Ralph Moran and Glenn Branley, who are two app developers who are sponsored by uh, AIB. Um, and uh, I guess it's probably fair to say that even as uh, very young developers, as a, a very young company, uh, the Web Summit still has an awful lot to offer in terms of uh, securing investors and networking and uh, also learning how to promote your own product. Absolutely, yes. And thanks for, thanks for talking to us now. Uh, we uh, applied to the Web Summit in light of attending last year uh, because we attended last year and it's just a world of everybody being on the same page. It's so global and everybody's trying to make an impact and that's the kind of atmosphere that startups will thrive on. And there's investors walking around, they're, they're the looming giants <laughs> and uh, everyone's just dying for a bit of their attention and like that kind of opportunity just doesn't come around so that's why the Web Summit's fantastic. And uh, just in terms of direct learnings, have you, have you figured out how to refine a pitch or, or where to start and where to finish? Absolutely, yes. Uh, at the start, our first few times we were explaining it, we were being grilled with questions and slowly that kind of just chisels chisel away at your pitch and make, makes you modify it to make sure you're including everything. Like from a like presenting point of view, the Web Summit is brilliant. And just to uh, tell us a little bit about the two apps that you've worked on so far. So our first app was called Hurry App, and that was primarily a, a social messaging app for the Apple Watch. Uh, we built that two years ago, and uh, in light of some success, we were actually flown to Apple, and uh, we developed with the Apple Watch before it was released, and uh, subsequently were named in the top 20 young developers in the world. So Hurry App kind of set in stone our kind of ambition to achieve in, in the world of apps and uh, taught us what we need to know to pursue uh, further things with Logodot. And Logodot is our second app. Logodot is a location data management system uh, with a particular impact point in the realm of personal safety. So uh, it allows you to voluntarily broadcast your location, uh, multi-platform, and uh, then to a private map which is protected by a unique alphanumeric code uh, and anybody then who has your code can uh, monitor you or watch where you're going so if your daughter let's say is coming home from a club at 3am or your wife has gone abroad and you want to make sure she's getting home like uh, you can use Logodot for that uh, Glenn, you're sort of the, the lead developer here so when you were sitting down to initially develop for the Apple Watch um, how did you embrace the project? I mean, did you go, you know, this is an Apple product, so it's immediately going to be a hit? Or were you thinking, you know, this is something new entirely, let's give it a go? 
Uh, well, I found it when I found out about the Apple Watch was being launched in, I think it was early last year. I wanted, I wanted to get into app development. So I've been programming for about five years prior to uh, learning to develop, and I started developing in June. Um, and I said, you know what, I want to be the best developer um, for the Apple Watch because it's such a new product. And I kind of missed out on the iPhone because I was younger. I didn't know. Um, so I, I, I really, I really, I, I bought the developer account for 100 euros, and it was the best 100 euros I ever spent. Um, and I just sat down every day, really, um, and just started developing for the Apple Watch. And then we kind of came up with the idea for, for Hurry App after the Web Summit. Um, and that's kind of how it all started, really, with, with the Apple Watch development. It's not, it's not the hardest thing to develop for, but there is a, it's very finicky in some ways. Uh, it's very limited, um, but it's, it's a great device to develop for, it, nonetheless. And with Lokadot, you've gone sort of cross-platform, that's your uh, iOS, Android, and now web as well. Uh, how did the development process differ uh, for that? I mean, discarding, of course, the, the, the idea that, you know, you're, you're working for iOS and not watchOS, but uh, how much more ambitious did you find the project? Well, it was definitely, it was very, we were very ambitious about it because it was like, we, we didn't know, I, I never developed for Android before. Like, like I said, with Hurry App, we developed for iOS. Um, so developing for Android was something that I had to take on personally, and I thought it was a big challenge. We also have a web platform, and that was quite tough as well. Um, and being that iOS, Android, and the web are very different in terms of languages, with Swift for iOS, Java for Android, and then JavaScript we use for our web platform, um, it was kind of it was tough in terms of different kinds of variables for different languages and how, how they're written. Um, so we kind of had to translate them all into one language, so we kind of kept it, we translated JavaScript and Java into Swift, so it's easier to understand um, for both of us and easier to use on all platforms. And uh, how, how are you managing to balance app development with your regular schoolwork? Uh, well, the way I look at it is, if you're really passionate about something, um, you'll find time to do it. A lot of people always ask us, how do we find time? So I'm just we're both really passionate about what we do. Um, so I guess that's how, how we, we balance time. Um, obviously, we're in our final year in, in Belvedere. Um, so it's, it's quite tough to, to manage time, but we, we end up doing it in the end. And uh, Ralph, how do you see um, yourselves going forward? I mean, you seem to be sort of the business head on things and Glenn seems to enjoy the uh, back-end development. Uh, is this the sort of team dynamic? Uh, I guess so. I, I do help out with Glenn, but I, he, he heads the development side. But uh, with Logodot, I we would love to make some, some key links uh, out of the Web Summit and uh, hopefully exploit them in the future. We've been speaking to a couple of investors who would like us to keep them updated. Uh, and ultimately, we would like not only for Logodot to be uh, like a a personal safety application that makes an impact on the world, but we'd also like to integrate it uh, into industries to allow location analytics uh, be accessible to even the smallest, let's say, delivery companies or stuff like that, so they can monitor their cars on the road. The companies that would really benefit from lo location analytics that the, that the big companies have with expensive GPS systems, uh, we could integrate that in. So you could see this uh, not only as sort of a personal safety thing, but maybe even applications, say, for the taxi industry, but maybe even for sports as well, for tracking uh, marathon routes. Absolutely. That was one thing we were considering. Ironman is, is a massive event, and the current tracking mechanism they use is checkpoint-based, so it's not entirely accurate. Lokodot uh, does away with checkpoints altogether because it's GPS-based. So. Well, done, guys. 
This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. I'm talking to Mark McCarville, who is uh, an experienced, uh, how would you say, uh, an innovator, an entrepreneur. Uh, and now at the moment he is head of Neosvar, uh, which is an anglicization, you were telling me, of what word? Uh, superior. Superior. And uh, what you're doing at the moment is you're working with the Internet of Things, which relies on two things. Basically collecting the information from devices around us so that we can have better devices. Uh, so that relies on really good sensors. But it also relies on really good connectivity so that you can collect good data and send it to places uh, in as... Uh, pristine a fashion and as quickly as possible. Would that be fair to say? And as reliably as possible. Yes, indeed. So we have to, we have to provide the services whereby people can rely on the data they're receiving, but also rely on the device that collects the data in the first place. So you've got something there that's solid, that's operable, and that's able to maximize its connectivity through various wireless networks. So uh, where are we actually going to be seeing these devices? Is, it, is this sort of a, a metropolitan solution? No, not necessarily. It can be deployed anywhere. You can place it on, you know, any, any mobility solution. So it could be on cars, buses, trains, boats, inland waterway boats, even, you know, marine. The whole solution there for anything that's mobile, basically. And we can put them, it doesn't necessarily have to be mobile or in a, an urban environment, rather. Okay. And uh, in terms of sort of the kind of information you might think people would be gathering, uh, are we going to be looking at things like sort of programming traffic, that kind of thing? Yeah, potentially. Um, the key thing here is how do I reliably get information to do all of these great vertically integrated solutions? How do I get some data that I can deliver my secret sauce to the end market? Okay. A lot of people have different solutions and different methods of doing that. But the key common point on that is, is the delivery mechanism. If they can't get reliable data from the delivery mechanism, they can't get the data across they can't rely on what they're showing down on their backend systems. And if they're processing data or they're developing data that mines information that's gleaned from these devices, it's contingent on them then to make sure that that information is good and solid and working and reliable. And that's where we're coming from. So we're trying to provide solutions that people can rely on and that will integrate with their systems going forward to allow them to expand their businesses. And the uh, company is situated at the DCU Innovation Hub at the moment. Um, how do you find that as uh, an environment for being a startup? It's excellent. Um, uh, you're exposed there to a whole pile of other companies and excellent companies. Uh, also, um, just from experience over the years, I would know a lot of the companies there. I know a lot of the principles. I know a lot of what they're doing already. In fact, I, I, have, I have a personal um, relationship with at least four companies there from previous professional engagements I've had over the years. So it's brilliant in that respect, and it allows us then to be able to capitalize on what they can do. It also exposes us to stuff that the universities can provide. They can provide us with resources. They can provide us with sort of academic backup if we need it. And as we grow forward, hopefully we'll be able to sort of back that into the university. So we'll be able to provide a, a good fertile ground for some of the good minds coming out of the university so they can actually come and learn. So that uh, this specialist area that we have in embedded technology, embedded software and in wireless technology can be passed on and we can then sort of augment the entire, or basically help the Irish industry in general, you know, and make it better through all of those uh, different development avenues. Thank you, Mark. Okay, thanks. I'm speaking now with Matthew McCann from Access Earth. So I'm looking at a very nice large computer screen with what appears to be a Google map of Dublin, but I'm sure it's much more interesting and complicated than that. So what Access, what Access Earth does is it provides up-to-date and reliable accessibility information about buildings and public places. So you'll be able to see on a map of Dublin... 
uh, divided into categories about whether, for example, you want to find a place to eat or drink, you can filter by whether it has step-free access or whether there's a lift available or whether there are accessible bathrooms. It's information that isn't out there at the moment and that it really needs so that anyone can contribute to this platform and make the world a more accessible place. So it's accessors.org is the website where you can go on and you can see exactly where it's accessible without wanting, without... um Right, so say if somebody has limited mobility, like they're on crutches or in a wheelchair, this is exactly the sort of service they should be looking at. Exactly, exactly, because uh, I originally came up with the idea where a hotel had said they were wheelchair accessible, but I get there and there's three steps up to the entrance. So, you know, this is a better way of saying exactly what a place has and what it doesn't have. So there's no sort of ambiguity about whether a place is accessible or not. And uh, are users able to rate places on their uh, degree of accessibility, like they can say, look... The ramp is in really good condition, absolutely. Exactly. So they can leave a review at a place and rate their experience as either positive, negative, or neutral. In addition, if they find information that seems to be wrong, anyone can go in then and correct that information so that it's always kept up to date by the very community that it's been developed for. And the website address? AccessEarth.org. I am now talking to Ola from SportCurve, another Irish company here at the Web Summit. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, SportCurve is an online, all-in-one performance and wellness aid. We want to be number one when, we, when it comes to wellness by allowing the coaches, the manager, the player, everyone to maximize the potential. And the key is we want to optimize the way in which researches are done by using SportCurve for main course. So we have Shadow Curve, which is like a genetic algorithm and machine learning. We have sessions, so your coach, your coach publish sessions to you. We have injury reduction curve. We want to predict and prevent injury. And then we have the start manager for curve for the manager to be able to see its stats based on the team's performance. So uh, I imagine this is a platform then that can work across any sport. Yes, that, that's one of the major key and difference about SportCurve is that you can use any type of sport anywhere and the system, the service we use is cross-platform. So you can use it on your mobile phone, on your computer, anything you have that can connect to the internet. And how do you find uptake is at the moment? Uh, do you find that uh, organizations like the GAA are kind of taking to it or maybe the IRFU? Yes, currently we're still embedded testing with certain universities and we're getting the scholarship athletes to use it and to get feedback. Also, we're working with a doctor to give us you know, feedback on researches they're doing about the next level of wellness. So how to prevent injury, how to optimize performance and things like that. And say for somebody that's just interested in maybe tracking their own personal progress through the gym, is there an application for that as well? Yeah. Another good thing about SportCov is we have aspect of it tailored towards everyone. So we are from the low-end, ordinary Joe Sub that just wants to keep a diary, monitor the performance, be able to see his perf- personal best. They have aspect of that tailored to them, so they'll pay the low, um, low-end low price, which is $4.99. And then you have the premium pack for like the big clubs, the universities, which is $199.99. And that, that could just be one person that pays that price, and the lower people just pay the lower price. And the person paying the top price will have access to the um, injury prevention, injury reduction, 
machine learning part, prediction part, and they can publish to the team members, and they can get all the information and tell you that, okay, person A, you're not doing too well, we're going to take you out, so your physiotherapy can intercept uh, before you get injured. So we're, we're really keen about looking after people's wellness. Excellent. Thank you, Ola. All right. Nice to meet you. Thank you. I'm speaking to Oliver Burke now from Chrono Labs, which is uh, an Irish hardware manufacturer that has developed a computer case that it also mounts the monitor and it makes your cables easier to manage as well. So, Oliver, tell me a little bit about um, where the product came from and uh, what what exactly what exactly is the benefit for the user as opposed to having a regular desktop PC and a monitor. Okay, so. The idea for this came because we've been to events from gaming events to like this one for the web summit and there's nothing in between a laptop and a full-on tower so you either bring a laptop which is convenient but maybe not as powerful or you go and you carry around your tower so what we're doing is we're creating a tower that's easier to transport and it gives you the transportability of an all-in-one but it gives you the um, customizability of uh, a full tower PC. So this will be especially useful for um, LAN gaming events where gamers need powerful computers but they need something they can easily transport to and from events as well. And uh, when will the product be available? Um, we're hoping to go into production around mid-2016. So. And um, if you don't mind me saying you're, you're very young, I, I imagine this is a, a project that's very close to your own heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm only 17, so I'm still I'm doing my leaving cert this year. So um, it was something that I wanted myself and Roy did as well, the other co-founder. So we decided to give it a go. Right, good luck. All right, thank you. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Still in the alpha startup section of the Web Summit, I am now talking to Rebecca from Red Pen eLearning. So, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about what the company does. Hi, well, we are based in Lower Dominic Street, which is in the city centre, and um, our focus is on converting technical content into immersive and interactive um, e-learning. We take highly technical content such as energy management, boiler management, and we create a 3D world. Um, And for example, we would have a global corporate client who is looking for a program on boiler management, um, and we create a 3D boiler room with the boiler working inside so that when the engineer makes the settings, the the boiler actually opens out and he can see into the boiler and see exactly what's happening, um, and that then embeds the learning. That's a a very interesting use of uh, not quite augmented reality, not quite virtual reality, but certainly um, software or a a graphical experience or a gamified experience that's pretty much working on that way. Is that something that you're thinking? Yeah, we're looking at very much, it's, it's about embedding the learning in a practical and safe and simulated environment. So again, it's very much about um, creating things such as a boiler room that in the real world you can't mess with a boiler. 
you can't set it incorrectly um, whereas in a 3D world you can set it incorrectly and that person can then see the combustion happening in front of their eyes um, as was the case that happened actually to one of our clients in South America where their boiler blew up and they killed two engineers you know so uh, it certainly has international applications so how, how do you find the reception has been in sort of an event like the Web Summit which is inherently international We've had a lot of interest here today, both from um, investors, then from um, probably companies that we could create a strategic alliance with, um, and then from just people who are very interested in what we're doing here um, and how we're using um, technology to apl- and applying it in this way. I'm speaking with Tanya from Maven 46, which is a kind of a digital magazine come e-commerce platform, come big data analytics company, come, I don't know, journalism platform almost. How would you describe it? Uh, Well, we would describe it as Maven 46 as an interactive platform that specializes in fashion, beauty and lifestyle that is completely shoppable and then soon to be personalized further with the introduction of big data analytics. Okay, so what I'm looking now is sort of a a magazine-style front page. It's got a couple of articles cycling through. Uh, But I gather that's not going to be the same user experience for me as for maybe somebody else using the website. Well, exactly. That's the that's the on the roadmap in terms of the personalization. Like right now, already we have content that is created by industry leaders. So it's ourselves. We've obviously been working in the industry in, in the, the publishing industry for 20 years combined. But then we integrated the commerce quite seamlessly into the content. So there's no more disconnection between the content and the commerce. So, for example, the shoots that we style and we produce ourselves, you can actually buy the things that we're featuring. We're talking about. But we want to take that step further in terms of the personalization. So, for example, our reader can vary between the age of 18 and 50. So they would obviously have a very different user experience in terms of the content that they would look at on the site. So for us, it's about navigating and looking at each individual as an individual so that we can start curating more content based on their user journeys. But also, we'll be able to start looking at what products they're looking at, what products they're engaging with, what products they're shopping. And even if it isn't, you know, click to purchase commitment, it's really about getting more information about that particular user, what's their price range, what's their demographics, so we can start creating more definitive profiles and then we can start funneling relevant content and relevant product information to them. I suppose that really is the difference between sort of e-commerce platforms like Amazon where you're not just getting the buying suggestions, now you're getting editorial suggestions. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of companies are doing recommender systems and that's something that we will be doing, but it's more about the content curation for us. It's about really giving that user experience to having that 360 degree experience so that we've got video, we've got content, we've got inspirations, we've got know-how, but also we'll have that extra stage further so that that content is specifically relevant to what your interests are. And how do you make that attractive to uh, the high street stores, to the retailers? You know, How do you go to them and go, look, we've, we've got this great idea, by the way, it's our business, it's, it's not yours? Oh, it's, it's fantastic because there's a, a massive um, trend in terms of native advertising. So, And the, the whole thing is in terms of the programmatic where you're using the data and you've got the numbers and you've targeted and you're trying to find out the specific core demographics of your customer. But then we have the ability to create advertising campaigns as well organically and to filter the two together. So from an advertising point of view, it's kind of like the holy grail because we can actually have the data to support exactly who your customer is, but also we can make sure that that particular message is communicated in an organic way, in a creative way, and appear on that person's page. So there's no waste. It's instant conversion. All right. Thank you, Tanya. Oh, thank you.
I'm speaking now with Diego from uh, Pow eLearning, which is uh, a language e-learning website, but you've got a very interesting model, not so much based on getting someone to learn a language from scratch, but to hone their skills and to keep speaking their language. Hello guys, nice to meet you. This is Thiago from Power Learning. Mainly Power Learning is a platform to actually help people to improve their fluency skills. Our main market are people that come, cannot afford to go overseas to improve the language. So what they do, they go into our platform, we do operate with a 60 second video content. You ask a question, someone go and they reply. The flux of the conversation is continuous. So what allows the people to keep on the subject of the conversation. So mainly we are not focused on teach, but we are focused on, on improving. So the main reason why we select Ireland to release the platform and to start the platform is because Ireland is, is, is a student place. There is over 30,000 international students here that come to Ireland every year to improve their language. So why not launch a platform here where we can get content on different languages, in English, in Portuguese, on Brazilian. So was one of the main reasons why we, we selected. And today we are here at the web submit, you know, like in the people are finding the platform to be very intuitive. So, so far I saw that we are the only platform that's focused on fluence. So what it, it, it's very good, you know, like, so we really, you know, like, like you guys that are listening, if you have the opportunity to go to the platform, it's POW, so P-O-W-E-Learning.com. If you can subscribe, there is no charge, it's free. The only thing we request is that you upload the content, you share, and you help your users to, to, to improve the language skills. I'm speaking now with Tom from a company called Emitter. Again, this is a, an Irish company with an international flavor, so based primarily around Europe, but also one person in uh, America as well. So tell us a little bit about what you do. So what we do, uh, we provide a service whenever somebody uh, wants to build an app or an IoT application that talks to another IoT application or app, then the very difficult thing for them to build usually is to do this, this um, communication between these devices. So actually we, we built this communication and all other parties can use that. So we have an API for parties to use it. Okay, so say if a, a light switch wants to talk to your thermostat, you're the people you should talk to. Yes, so we're like the, the nerve system for IoT applications. And uh, how are you finding the web so much at the moment? Do you think that the value is in maybe networking or attracting investors or just getting ideas and sharing them? Yeah, for us it's uh, mainly uh, seeing if what we made or the last details we still have to make, that whether that matches our market. Uh, so for us it's not, it is really networking and understanding. We have a, like a minimum viable product we have right now. We want to check whether that's what people indeed like. But it's also networking. We had a lot of great contacts here so far. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. I'm now here with Fraser McKim from HD Solutions, or Home Dialysis Solutions. And according to their plaque, uh, they are an innovative software product for the training and management of home dialysis. Fraser, is that an accurate reflection of what you do? Absolutely is it an accurate uh, reflection. We uh, train people to leave the clinic and improve the quality of life and also the longevity of their life 
by dialyzing in their homes. So the major barrier today is that people are afraid of leaving the comfort and security of the hospital in order to in order to dialyze in their homes. So what we're doing is we're, we've identified the problem as being one of training and information and evaluating people's suitability in the clinic. So we get them used to the idea of the process, we train them, and then once they get into their home, we have a system of supports to help them manage and become autonomous once they're there. So, so this kind of takes an awful lot of load off healthcare professionals and potentially off hospital waiting lists as well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely designed to get people out of the hospitals. For instance, there's about 2,000 2, people on dialysis roughly. You know, about the population especially in Ireland is about 2,500, 3,000 people maximum. Uh, and the, it occupies 20% of the outpatient healthcare budget. So a fraction of the, of the patients have a massive percentage of our outcare patient budget. Totally, it's 3% of the total national healthcare budget. So the, the relative cost for patients is enormous. The big problem is that it costs uh, 70000 a year, and at home it'll cost you maybe 25000 so it's a lot cheaper. That brings up a very interesting situation about working with the existing healthcare system as a third-party provider. How do you find that? Uh, have you found there to be any friction so far, or is there a great deal of uh, sort of acceptance and even sort of welcoming taking this uh, workload off their shoulders? Uh, we've been uh, we've been working very closely with the National Reeling Unit down in Cork, uh, and they're responsible for the whole healthcare above the dialysis healthcare policy, and they've already embraced since 2012 the concept of home dialysis. So their objectives are to get 20% of people from the current 2.5% to their homes. So our solution is seen as a facilitator in aiding them to achieve this objective. Uh, finally here at the Web Summit, I'm speaking to Jared Ford of Bizimply, who is the uh, overall winner of the ESB Spark of Genius Award, uh, which is uh, a prize for um, budding young startups in uh, Ireland. So congratulations, Jared, and tell us a little bit about Bizimply. So Bizimply, uh, we build a workforce management software in the cloud uh, for retail and restaurant businesses. So we would do everything from uh, scheduling, HR, time and attendance, um, all in the cloud. Yeah, and, and yeah, winning today is fantastic. And uh, for um, sort of HR software, it, it can be quite a crowded, a crowded, if you will, field. So, what, what differentiates you from the market? I guess, uh, yeah, what differentiates us from the market? Um, because we, we kind of give them a full suite solution, but they can uh, pay for it by a self-serve business model. So typically, uh, that type of product will be sold via uh, a PowerPoint pitch deck with someone coming in. It can be very expensive. It's very clunky. Um, and what we do all in the cloud, so we pick up customers every day in different countries. They, they SEO, they find us, they, um, and they take the free trial for 30 days and, um, and hopefully put in their credit card at the end of that. And did you find sort of the pricing model became as important as other aspects of development as you're going along? It is, yeah. We, we've kind of uh, played around with some different pricing models. Um, we, we, we're working on a modular pricing structure at the moment, so you can pay for the module. So, say, like a euro a month for the um, um, HR, a euro a month per employee for clocking in, a euro a month per scheduling. And that works really well because sometimes they have one of the... One of the things that makes defines us different from every other company in this space is we bring the whole solution onto one platform. Typically, it would have been on three or four different systems. And so, uh, have there been any particular territories that you're surprised that you had gained traction in? 
Um, yeah, we. Um, I mean, most of our business is in the US um, and the UK and Ireland. Um, we have a lot of traction, though. In we actually get a lot of traction through uh, Irish pubs for some reasons. So we actually have customers in places like Haiti. Um, we have customers in India. We have customers, um, and often what happens is it's kind of a net, kind of a referral effect. You know, you get one uh, business owner referring to another. So that, that's been really good for us as well. And uh, where do you see the company going next? Yes, so we are uh, 13 people now. We were there was three of us in January. There's 13 of us today, so we'll double again in the next hopefully the next quarter. Um, so we're trying to hire uh, at the moment. Um, we are we just opened up in the US office in Boston, so we'll probably open that the first of January. Um, yeah, we, I mean we hope to be a global company out of Ireland. Uh, we plan to be. We don't hope we will be a global company. We want to be the best HR company in the world and uh, and do it out of Ireland. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Jared, and congratulations. Thank you. Niall Kitson, editor of TechCentral.ie, talking to so many people at Web Summit over the uh, last couple of days. Very, very busy week for you, Niall. Uh, make sure you're listening to our show next week because Niall has an extra special interview. He managed to talk to Andrew Key, who is the managing director of Silicon Valley Robotics. And uh, listen, <laughs> all I've been hearing for the last 24 hours from Niall is, oh man, the robotics were fantastic. Listen to the interview. It will blow your mind. That's on the show next week. And remember, you can get hourly updates on tech news around the world along with daily newsletters from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Nyland Web Summit, thank you so much for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.